What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. What a play! Can you believe this? No, I can't. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Off to the races, and he stays on his feet. This is going to go the distance. Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. Beyond the Box Score, Week 2. Proud to say we did not get canceled after our first show. The execs were like, guys, better be good. Schneier better be good, and it's going to be one and done. But we passed the test. (laughs) We actually inspired Rashad White to have a huge game. And uh, we've got more big topics for you, more advanced stats. This is Beyond the Box Score, advanced stats from simple people. And today we'll talk about Puka Nakua again. That's going to be a pretty regular occurrence on this show. We'll talk about Kyron Williams again. We'll talk about the Jaguars passing game, the Texans passing game. They have the uh, they've run the second most plays I think in the NFL behind the Rams. Uh, they are throwing the ball a ton, and Nico Collins is off to a great start. So uh, we'll talk about that. Good afternoon, Dan and Jacob. Jacob, how do you think? I'm going to ask Dan how his golf game went, and what do you think? He, like, what do you think he's going to say? You think he's had a good day out there Friday on the links? I think Dan's got excuses for why I did not have a good day. <laughs> that sounds more like it. Dan, how was your golf game? It was solid. It was the first time I had played in 14 days, which was a long time for me this summer. And I shot a 101, which for me is around what I've been shooting between. This is my first summer playing. I'm three months in. I've shot between like 101 and 120 at first. And so it was okay. Uh, The first two holes, I couldn't get off the tee, which was an issue because that hasn't happened to me in like two months. Um, And so that was very disappointing. But irons were pretty crispy all day. I think I topped like one ball the entire day, which irons at this crispy, stage yeah. of where I'm at, that's a good sign. So <laughs> I know you didn't want all this kind of detail, but maybe I those true golfers out there would enjoy it. I didn't, but we do <laughs> want some detail on some film review a little bit later. Uh, so let's talk about New England and Miami. Miami 24, New England 17. And, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad game. He didn't play poorly to it, but he only scored 14.3 fantasy points and six points for passing touchdown leagues. Raheem Mostert with a huge game. 18 carries, 121 yards, two touchdowns, and he had one catch. So, uh, Jacob, any major takeaways from this game? 
So we saw Kendrick Bourne, um, the role kind of disappear as Devontae Parker returned. Uh, Bourne's route rate was only around 50, 52%. So that's kind of concerning for a lot of people who rushed to get him. He still led the entire NFL in air yards, which is pretty nuts for only playing half of the naps. But um, yeah, a ton of plays again from the Patriots, which is exciting to see them continue to play at a pretty high pace. Um, just needs somebody, a wide receiver to get open. It was weird. Devontae Parker played... You know, I, he may have played 100% of the snaps. He played a lot of snaps, and Kendrick Bourne 100%. was down near about 50% of the snaps. That was so strange, but I guess we can't rely on that. Um, Stevenson, you know, people are, are probably wondering, he just doesn't look so great right now, Ramondre Stevenson. 15 carries for 50 yards and a touchdown. Last week, 12 carries for 25 yards. He does have nine catches this year. He's had two solid fantasy games in PPR, Dan. How do you feel about Ramondre Stevenson going forward? I think you said it best. He just doesn't look like the same explosive back right now that he was last year. Now that could obviously change with time. I think part of the issue is New England's not blocking it up the way they were last year in the run game. And I think part of the issue is it's a difference than with Bill O'Brien. And he's not as much of a focal point in the passing game. Last year, I think he had the third most targets for running backs. I highly doubt that repeats itself this season, especially with Zeke in the mix there. Um, already getting a, a decent amount of touches there. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I wasn't very high on him to begin with, but definitely not. Nothing has changed. This was an interesting matchup for the Dolphins. It's so far through two games. Think about who the Eagles, or through the, who the Patriots have played. They faced the Eagles and the Dolphins, and they have not really been beaten deep at all. I mean, they've been giving up very few big plays. A lot of the big plays they are giving up are catch and runs, but Jalen Waddell had a, you know, a vertical, uh, I don't know, it was like a 30-yard gain. But for the most part, they're just not letting anything behind them. It's really impressive considering the competition. So the Dolphins took advantage of that, and they ran the ball. And Jacob, how do you value Raheem Mostert, who, you know, he's got a touchdown in each game, but only 10 carries last week, 18 in week two. And uh, next week they come home to face Denver. Then they're at Buffalo. I don't really know. I don't really know how to predict the game script because Tua went from throwing 45 times to 30 times from week one to week two. Yeah, I think we'll see it be kind of flexible week to week. Um, it doesn't surprise me that they didn't test New England a ton in terms of their pass defense. It's maybe one of the best in the league. Mostert has dominated the RB rush share, 82% um, of the running back rush attempts in this game, 77% in week one. I think he's a weekly top 20 guy at this point um, and we don't know for sure that Jeff Wilson's going to be back. Devon Achen, they don't even seem to want involved at this point so i think you're rolling with him i don't know if you're going to be able to sell him for much right so i think you're just rolling with him at this point yeah i love it yeah, you're the right. dolphins running back has been sorry go ahead Adam. no no you, your turn dan i was gonna say this is something that you mentioned a lot i felt like in the offseason adam on multiple podcasts to prep people but the dolphins run it r- running back has been pretty valuable fantasy asset since mike mcdaniel got there <laughs> last season as well there were stretches for both Wilson and Mostert. So if he's getting that kind of snap share in this kind of offense, and to me, that's going to be one of the worst games with a healthy two that they're going to have all year from an offensive production standpoint. The New England's one of the few teams I think that can slow them down. Obviously, the Jets and Bills will have a case as well. But um, yeah, I think Mostert still remains. I would put him even closer to like the top 12, top 15 range given Ooh. the usage. Wow. Um, he's not only, only what, three catches in two games. So he's not getting that. And the pro- We just, you know, you're saying while Jeff Wilson is out. Yeah, while Wilson is yeah, out. Correct. I have no idea what the if timeline is. 
Remember, uh, you know, his agent, Jeff Wilson's agent, said he could come back in week five. But before that, Mike McDaniel was like, eh, it's, you know, I, I hope he can play this season. So right. I don't know what it is. And um, but if I said New England won the game, I was wrong. They did not. I, I was aware. The Dolphins did win. I don't know if I said it wrong. The Dolphins won 24-17. The Dolphins are alone in first place in the AFC East. They have run won two road games at New England and at the Chargers. Pretty impressive. Tonight, we have two Monday night football games, and we will get you ready for those at 7.30 p.m. Eastern uh, with uh, our live stream. In fact, one of them is, what time does that first game start? It's probably going to be going on at that point, so that'll 7 be fun. 7.15. 7.15. All right, great. So we'll... Uh, E.T. Well, yeah. Obviously, I'm yeah. referencing Eastern course, time zone I mean, at all times. The only time the best zone. time zone. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, <laughs> Jacob would probably disagree out in Arizona. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, join us. YouTube.com slash fantasy football today. We'll be live at 730 to answer your questions. And uh, yeah, and we'll look at the waiver wire and <clears throat> have a fun grand old time. Email of the day comes from Danny in Frisco, Texas. He says, please get on to Dan way more about his take on seeing, quote, old movies i never understand this sentiment of i wasn't born when it came out so why should i know it as a high school teacher i hear this all the time from teenagers about everything there's so much iconic music movies and tv from pre-1990 i usually don't mind that he hasn't seen movies but awful take by dan and this was dan saying he hadn't seen (coughs) ghostbusters because it was born it was it came out in the 80s um also hot cheetos and nacho cheese is a very underrated snack Back in West Texas, this is a concession stand staple. Very good. And also, I think the John Wick movies are some of the best action movies, immediate classics. You want to tackle that? He's right right about the John Wick movies. They're phenomenal. I've seen John Wick 1, and that was a phenomenal movie. (laughs) Um, Listen, when it comes to me seeing 80s movies or whatever movies, like, sure, I get it. I should be seeing these movies. But guess what? Adam should have seen Friday Night Lights. Adam should have seen The Wire. And I'm going to choose to spend I've my time watching shows like that. What? I've seen six episodes of The Wire. It was it was more boring <laughs> than the Chiefs than the Chiefs Jaguars game, which was extremely boring. Uh, I hate to take that the wire is boring in the fa- yeah, the first six episodes are complicated. They throw 30 characters at you at once. Be a little bit more in you know attentive to the to the episodes and maybe you'll do a better job read a recap after it for i'm God's not gonna read sake. a recap. Re- i don't off. read recaps i'd like to think i'm smart enough to understand what's going on i don't go on the internet well, clearly you're not. I, yes it's not about not understanding I, I don't go on the internet and read what other people think about the episode to determine how i feel about a tv show i have my own opinions Look, it's a multifaceted tv show that tackles the streets that tackles the teachers that tackles the the politics that tackles the police like a lot of these being thrown at you at once it's oh, wow. a tough show to follow about that episode i don't think i'll be able to get that picks up okay episode eight okay i'm sorry that. i didn't i didn't quite you get the episode eight. i'll watch ghostbusters all right i'll watch Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> all right here are your news and notes anthony richardson concussion joe burrow aggravated to calf injury david montgomery said he might need a couple of weeks for his thigh injury to heal so that means we're going to get hopefully more <laughs> hopefully more jameer gibbs i'm sorry i feel like i'm almost over this cough uh, hopefully more having junior. a flu game right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and also Craig Reynolds might be someone we talk about on tomorrow's waiver wire show. Devontae Adams was evaluated for a concussion. Saquon Barkley is the biggest injury right now. We, we just got an update from Brian Dable and the update is there is no update. They don't know the severity. You should not expect him to play in week three. And if he does play in week three, I really think I would avoid him like the plague at San Francisco on a Thursday. Reminds me too much of that Eagles game where he played hurt and barely played last year. Yeah, he's not going to play. Yeah, hopefully it's not too long for Barkley. We'll see. 
Darnell Mooney hurt his knee. Cam Akers was inactive, and now we see he's on the trading block, reportedly on the trading block. So we'll talk about Kyron Williams. Um, do you guys think it is worth hanging on to Cam Akers right now? Maybe in a really deep I league, but yeah, it's tough. Okay. I don't think Cam Akers has showed much juice at all since the post-Achilles injury. I know he had that run at the end of last season, that I think that was not... That. When I went back and watched some of that, I thought it was more McVeigh than anything else. And it was really easy competition, too. Uh, right. That's, there's some offensive line injuries to know about. Dallas uh, off, offensive guard Zach Martin left. Actually, two offensive Ooh. linemen left for them. Martin left in the fourth quarter. It was a blowout. I have no idea if it's serious. I feel like we would have heard about it right. if it were. But the other offensive lineman who left was actually the replacement for Tyler Smith, um, who's been out each of the first two games. Ryan Kelly, Colts center, he left with a concussion. Odell Beckham has an ankle injury. It doesn't appear to be serious. Washington tight end Logan Thomas left after that cheap hit. Um, Seattle cornerback Tariq Woolen left. I'm not sure if he came back. But Chicago safety Eddie Jackson was carted off. That's not good for the team playing Kansas City next week, the Chicago Bears. Buffalo had two key injuries yesterday, but again, I, they were blowing the, the Raiders out. Micah Hyde and Leonard Floyd, a safety and an edge rusher. They left in the second half. Haven't heard anything about that. Uh, Philadelphia slot cornerback Avante Maddox is having surgery, and he could miss the rest of the season. Uh, Green Bay offensive lineman Elton Jenkins left with a knee injury, and they were already without David Bakhtiari. Um, and Houston played without their starting safeties, and they lost another safety in this game against the Colts. Eric Murray left in the first quarter. <clears throat> Seattle was playing without two offensive linemen. Their center, Evan Brown, hurt his knee. Rams guard Joseph Noteboom hurt his shoulder. Interesting quote from Sean Payton after the after the Broncos fell to 0-2. He said, quote, There were a number of drives where we were late with personnel. Getting out of the huddle, we took a while. This has to change. We had to burn timeouts in the first half, and I'm not used to doing that. We have to be better. I have to be better. Russ has to be sharper with getting the play out, and then we have to look at how much we have in. If we need a, if we need to wristband it, we will. So that was Sean Payton talking about the same thing that plagued them last year, Dan. And Payton not happy through two games, zero and two. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, they haven't looked like we thought they might under Sean Payton, but it's early. I think that that offense will get. I still have a little bit of faith that Sean Payton is that good at designing plays that things will happen for that offense later in the season, maybe. And Detroit pass rusher James Houston is out at least six to eight weeks with a broken ankle. Jay, uh, Jacob Gibbs, what do you have in the... I don't know why I struggled with your name there. I think because I said James Houston, I was about to call you James. But Jacob Gibbs, what do you have in the advanced stats section for us today? So I'm really excited about Jaden Reed, Packers rookie wide receiver Jaden Reed. This is another guy that we um, highlighted on the Beyond the Box score rookie gyms episode this summer. And he played really well during the preseason, during training camp. There was just tons of buzz about him and Luke Musgrave. And so far out of the gate with Christian Watson sidelined, it has been Reed who has really capitalized on the opportunity. So if you look at target per route run rate through two weeks, we've got, of course, Puka Nakua target God at <laughs> first with 40% target per route run rate. Tyree Kill second, 37%. Jane Reed is third at 34%. And then in week two, we saw Reed be the first read for Jordan Love 39% of the time. What's interesting to me about the targets for Reed is that he's not 
playing in anything but three wide receiver sets. So nothing's going to change when Christian Watson comes back in terms of the role. It's not like he's benefiting from Watson's absence and playing more, and we're going to see him play less when Watson gets back. He might see his target rates drop, but really I don't think of Watson as somebody who's an alpha wide receiver target hog type. He drew targets at a high rate last year, but I think mostly there wasn't much competition. Um, so I, I think there's target ambiguity here in Green Bay, and I don't think Romeo Dobbs is somebody who's ever been a target earner in college or at the NFL level, and it's entirely possible that Reed is going to be really involved um, and be fantasy relevant for the stretch run. So I'm curious what you guys think about him because I've loved what I've seen so far. I yeah, think, I'll get in. Adam, do you want to jump in? Or, yeah, I'll just uh, jump yeah, in real right quick and say I was really disappointed with Romeo Dobbs. He was a recommended start for me. I think I said start him over Nico Collins. In fact, I'm sure I did. And uh, he was a total dud. That was disappointing. Um, Jamie mentioned, did AJ Terrell follow Romeo Dobbs? I watched this morning. No, he did not. That wasn't the issue. Um, Watson coming back, you know, is an issue for anyone. But um, I think target ambiguity is a good way to put it. They could have different guys stepping up different weeks. There will be some good Dobbs weeks, I think. There will be some Musgrave weeks. There will be some Reed weeks. I think Watson, though, I think Watson has a chance to really be awesome. Um, mm. But uh, the other guy that you didn't mention is Aaron Jones, and that is someone that's going to take targets away from everyone because Dylan only had one catch yesterday. Uh, so I don't know. I don't really know that I trust. I think I trust Jordan Love a bit, but it feels kind of like Washington where they're going to spread it out. Let's see if Watson and Jones change that, though, because I, I, you, could, you could argue that those guys could be the top two target getters this year You know, from week three on, let's say, if they're both back. What do you have to say, Dan? There's a lot to unpack there, and I think this is a great topic. I'm going to first start with kind of the overall outlook, 30,000-foot view for fantasy. Then I'll get into my evaluation of Reed from his college tape at Michigan State. But from the overall standpoint, I think part of the reason Christian Watson drew such a high target share last season was that Aaron Rodgers was there. And this season is a lot different in Green Bay. Jordan Love is running the offense as called by Matt LaFleur. Or I'm sorry, by getting Mike mixed up, but yes, Matt LaFleur. And that's going to mean... What I think that's going to lead to what Adam said, a lot more target ambiguity. Well, wow, Jacob said trouble that. Pronouncing I, words well, no, that. I said it right. You know, I didn't say ambiguity, but it was Jacob who said ambiguity. Ambiguity. Right. Ambiguity. Wow, there we go. There you go. Okay, a lot more target ambiguity, a lot more spreading the ball around, <laughs> a lot more of, you know, we see Romeo Dobbs have this great week. Can he follow it up? No, he doesn't follow it up at all. And I agree with Jacob. Romeo Dobbs is low on my list of players once Watson is back. Watson, I still think, could have fantasy success because he's so explosive and could just turn nothing plays into touchdown plays. But I don't think it's going to look like last year from a target standpoint. And as for Jaden Reed, this is a player who I was not excited about before I watched his tape at Michigan State. I looked at the overall athletic profile. I saw a smaller receiver, didn't really test out well in any regard. And then you watch his tape and you see why people are excited about him. He's a tape guy and reminded me in some ways of Terry McLaurin. Not as much on the vertical side of Sarah McLaurin, but in the intermediate range and in the short range, just that ability to create separation with his route running and his savviness. And those are sometimes the players that I find have the most success unexpectedly from a fantasy standpoint, the ones who don't run the great 40 and don't stand out to people in the pre-draft process based on how they are from an athletic standpoint. And so Reed is someone I'm very focused on and interested in. I think he's a better prospect than Romeo Dobbs overall. So he's definitely higher on my list of Packers players I want uh, than Dobbs. And so I, I think Jacob's on to something. My only issue is what I said at the beginning, though, which is, again, Jordan Love is going to run this offense as Matt LaFleur calls it. Heron Rodgers checked out of a lot of plays with Matt LaFleur. It was basically Rodgers' offense. So 
that changes my thoughts on will love lock into any player on this in this passing game okay both jj zacharyson and player profile um comped read to stefan diggs pre-draft which i just thought was really really interesting he's really smooth and like yeah he moves better than his athletic testing might suggest i think this is almost more of a dynasty note than anything i think reed could be relevant fantasy this year um, but like we described, there's some concern with the offense. Jordan Love has the highest off-target rate of any quarterback through two weeks, which has flown a little under the radar because he's had good results. Um, he's but throwing yeah, the ball deep, though. Overall. He's throwing What'd the ball deep. He's he's throwing a lot of yeah. air yards. So that kind of comes with inaccurate throws. Um, yeah, I was actually going to talk about that. Uh, is one of my advanced stats I had because the guys who were really high. Well, anyway, I'll get into that later. But I'm not. I'm just. I'm not ready to give up on Dobbs yet. There were too many reports about him potentially leading the team in targets and catches, and then he caught two touchdowns in Week One, playing less than half the snap. So a bad game. Bad games happen. I'd like to see this play out a little bit more. Uh, all right, what's next, Jacob? What do you got for us? Michael Pittman. I'm really excited about what we've seen from the Colts. The Colts are playing at the fastest pace in the league. They're throwing on first downs. They're using RPO and play action at league high rates as well. It's all really exciting, particularly for Pittman. So we talked with Ben Gretsch and JJ Zacharyson on Beyond the Box Score this summer about RPO. So heavy RPO usage can lead to really concentrated target shares because the only real option to be targeted on an RPO is the receiver who the player is designed for. So you're not as a receiver, you're not competing with other receivers for targets like you are in most dropbacks on an RPO. And so last year, we saw really concentrated target shares for A.J. Brown and Vontae Smith um, in Philly's offense. We see here in Shane Steichen's offense that Michael Pittman's targets are just through the roof to start the year um, with all the RPO, I think, boosting that. So target share leaders, 39% Bukunukua, 35% Devonta Adams. Michael Pittman tied with Tyree Kill at 33% for third. He's been the first read 40% of the time, up from 32% last year. And then on first downs, I mentioned that they're throwing a lot more on first downs, which is exciting for a lot of reasons. Uh, defenses just aren't ready to face the pass on first down as much as they are on other downs. They're the number of um, plays with five or more cornerback or defensive backs drops from 80% on other downs to 62% on first down. And first down targets are worth more fantasy points as a big result of that. 43% first down target share for Michael Pittman through two weeks, which is the second highest in the NFL. So I think it's really like he was somebody who was really hard to get a good read on going into the year. We've seen rushing quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks be detrimental for fantasy wide receivers in the past. But I think the way that Indianapolis is playing, um, as long as Anthony Richardson doesn't totally implode, it could be a really big year for Pittman. Like top 20 wide receiver, which I really didn't expect going into the year. Okay. All right, so we've heard about Jaden Reed and Michael Pittman. What else you got? Isaiah Pacheco is the last guy. So Isaiah Pacheco accounted for 86% of the Chiefs running back rush attempts, which is the second highest mark of his career um, in a single game. That's what he got in week two. He has 100% red zone snap rate on the year. So last year, Jarek McKinnon was the guy in the red zone. Um, That hasn't been the case this year. That's gone to Pacheco. And then the other thing, he has led the backfield in routes in both games for the Chiefs, which is another area where we saw McKinnon get that work last year. I People were really kind of out on Pacheco um, because I, th- I guess the draft capital, but like we saw late in the year he was kind of taking over the backfield and that's what it's looked like so far. So like, where do you guys have him if this continues? Because the Chiefs offense is probably only going to get better, right? 
they just don't hand off to him. I mean, he had 12 carries, and I think five of them came on the last drive of the game when they were running out the yeah. clock. Um, you know, he had four catches, I think, in the first game of the season. What did he have yesterday? I don't even know. Um, but uh, to sum it up, he, uh, he had one catch on two targets yesterday, and he had four catches in week one. I think he's okay. I, I think he's a, a hold. I wouldn't say he's a buy low. It just hasn't been in the Patrick Mahomes era. hasn't been a good offense for, for running backs. The last time they had a running back that finished top 20 per game was Kareem Hunt. So I, I just, uh, I don't know. I don't think he's going to catch. I Actually, I do. I'm open-minded to the catches being higher than we thought, which I was before this season. They're wide, they don't have wide receivers. So right. they got to throw to someone. Can't be Kelsey all the time. Kelsey, by the way, had a limited snap share in week two. Um but yeah, they never. I just don't know how many touchdowns he's going to score. They just—they're not a team that when they get near the goal line, they hand the ball off to Isaiah Pacheco. They well, they would hand the ball off to probably five other guys before they hand it off to the running back. You know, Kelsey, Tony, <laughs> uh, some offensive lineman or something like that. You know, so I'm okay with Pacheco. I don't—I did not draft him in any leagues, but it's obvious that he is—you know—that Clyde's not going to be a factor. And as of now, McKinnon's not going to be a factor, but that could change at some point in the season. Yeah, the usage is definitely interesting. My my concern remains, though, along the lines of what Adam said. In the red zone, I just don't see them design. They design such a unique red zone offense that it doesn't really play to having Pacheco be in such a good offense with the expectation that because he's in a good offense, he's going to score a lot when they're not really giving him the ball that often in the red zone. Here are some advanced stats from Adam Azer. Off-target rates, uh, off-target rate on throws of 15 or more air yards in week two. So who was most inaccurate throwing down the field? Mac Jones, off-target on two-thirds of his six attempts. He was 0 for 6 on throws of 15 or more air yards, but they were all pretty deep. I mean, you can throw a ball 15 air yards, you can throw a ball 40 air yards, and they, you know, in this stat, they show up the same way, 15 or more air yards. Um, Jordan Love, 42.9% of his seven attempts that were 15 or more air yards were off target. But the guy that I really wanted to talk about was Brock Purdy. He also, 43% of his seven attempts were off target. He was terrible on throws downfield. And, you know, that's nothing new. Even, right, exactly. Even the AP article pointed it out. But Debo Samuel was open for a touchdown. He missed him badly. Ayuk was open for a big play. He missed him badly. And his, it, the air yards are way up per attempt for Brock Purdy this year. He is throwing downfield more, um, but he is not hitting on those. So I was super high. I was really convinced that he was going to be, you know, a good, good number two quarterback for fantasy. And I still think he can be. But for him to take the next step and really be a difference maker, he's got to be better downfield, and he was awful in week two. I don't think we really need to get into that. I'll just throw that out there. Jacob mentioned the fastest offense in football. That is average time remaining on the play clock when when they snap it. The Colts are number one. Here's the top five. Colts, Texans, Patriots. I mean, who saw that as the top three fastest offense? Colts, Texans, Patriots, Jaguars, Eagles. Okay, that makes sense. Here are the five slowest offenses. Buffalo, Atlanta, Green Bay, Vegas, and the Rams. And four of those five teams were slow last year. Buffalo, Atlanta, Green Bay, Vegas, and the Rams. And the only one that wasn't a super slow offense last year was Atlanta. So, um, you know, you can still be one of the best offenses in football and be super slow. That's the Bills. But we love what we're seeing from the Colts, the Texans, and the Patriots right now. Turbo speed on offense. We'll take a break when we come back. More stats, film breakdown, five big topics. We'll be right back on Fantasy Football Today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky 
co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, here we go to the snap counts. Um, anything that you guys want to talk about? Kyron Williams ran 52 routes in week two, and he played pretty much every snap. Um, Damian Pierce played only three snaps on third down compared to eight for Singletary and eight for Daria Gunbawale. We talked about that yesterday. That's concerning. Here's I want to know what you guys think about Brian Robinson because they're 2-0, and and he has 18 to 19 carries in both games, Brian Robinson. We don't think they're going to be a great team. Their next two games are Buffalo and Philadelphia. Mm. They've got some winnable games for sure, but they've got some losable games. He's not the third down guy. That's still Gibson. So do you think we should sell high on Brian Robinson? And if so, what would you try to turn him into? What do you think about him compared to Pacheco? Um, <laughs> pretty similar. I'd say yeah. I'd rather have Robinson. I think he's probably perceived as much more valuable at this point. You might be able to get like Pacheco and, you know. Um, yeah, I think I would try to sell. I'm curious, yeah, where exactly his value would fall, but he's already matched his touchdown total from last year in two games and the receiving touchdown, I'm pretty sure wasn't even targeted to him. I think he intercepted that best <laughs> in week one. Um, and like you mentioned, the game script has been ideal so far and these next two games are going to be a real test. It wouldn't surprise us at all. If you had like a 50% snap right next week, right? Yeah. Against the Bills, uh, it would surprise, it would surprise me <laughs> really? to be honest. Uh, they'll just try to lean yeah, on it would the game, the ground game. Yeah. It's, it's not even that. I just, so, okay. I, I I did a film study on on Brian Robinson. He was one of the big five topics. Do we want to hit this now, Adam, or save this for no, that go for big it. five topic? Go we can for hit it, it now. Yeah. yeah, we can just hit it now and do four topics for today or do the fifth one now. I would surprise me if he has a snap share at 50% or lower at any point, even in the games they're trailing, because I think they feel more comfortable with Brian Robinson on the field in those types of games because of how he can perform in pass protection. And I think although we've seen it be Gibson in the third downs right now in these quote-unquote passing downs, it's a little bit different when you're playing catch-up mode and you know the defense is teeing off every play. You become one-dimensional and they don't respect the run. They're shooting every gap defensive line. You need to have someone who can hold up in pass pro, in my opinion. And Robinson can do that. But as far as the film study goes on Robinson I was incredibly impressed with what I saw from him on tape in week two the run he had uh, in the first quarter for those who are following along and want to watch this back on NFL game pass if you bought that or if you get that through having season tickets whatever check it out first and 10 third quarter 122 remaining it was a 27 yard run for Brian Robinson the way he found the cutback it was an outside zone run and the way he found the cutback lane on that such a small crease to get vertical and to get through I watch running backs run outside zone all the time, like every week. You know, that's a, it's a common concept right now in the NFL. I would say that nine, eight 
or nine out of 10 times I watch this run, the running back is running right into the defender for a loss of two or a zero yard run on this play. He's not seeing, he's not processing that cutback lane and he's not getting through that cutback lane. Robinson did all that. And then after he got through the, the cutback lane, which would have been good enough, if he just got the 10 or 12 yards. He spun, he bounced off two tackles and picked up another 15 yards. He's a smooth runner. He had a 15 yard touchdown run uh, later in the game where I just thought he did a great job of pressing the vertical, pressing vertically through the C gap to draw in number 21 for the Broncos. I don't know who this was. And again, those want to uh, watch this play back. It was seven eighteen to go in the fourth quarter, the touchdown run for 15 yards. Once he pressed, the, the C gap and got vertical. It took 21 out of the play because he tried to fill. And then he just used a really smooth looking jump cut to get outside and turned it into a 15 yard touchdown run. I was also really impressed, Adam and Jacob, that they designed two screens for him. They had a screen for him early in the game and then they had a screen for him when they really needed it late in the game with 10 15 to go in the fourth quarter. Those are both design touches for Brian Robinson in the passing game. One went for 21 yards. I don't remember what the other screen went for, but both were big gains in the passing game. And Ultimately, what it comes down to for me is I think they trust Brian Robinson more than they trust Antonio Gibson. He doesn't put the football on the ground. I think he's better in pass protection. I think he's a really good processing back. And I really am impressed with what I've seen from Eric Bieniemy, guys. Like I, This is not what I expected. I thought a lot of what happened in Kansas City was just him riding the coattails of Andy Reid. I'll be honest because Reid called all the plays while he was there if I'm not mistaken, but I think he's done a really good job of scheming things up. Like they had a lot, like both those screen passes were perfectly timed, perfectly designed. There was like three or four blockers ahead of Brian Robinson, easy gains. And in the run game, I've seen diversity. They ran outside zone. They ran some counter from shotgun that worked really well. So I thought it was a really diverse run game from Eric Bianami there. So I'm just really excited. I think about what I'm seeing from the commander's offense. I get it. The game scripts could change. The matchups are going to be tougher, but this Broncos defense was not supposed to be some easy matchup on paper. I don't think. And I I thought they did a really good job with it. And so I'm personally holding on Brian Robinson. He was a player I wish I got more of this preseason. And he might be a player I actually look to trade high for, to be honest. Oh, wow. He look, he looks good. He's avoided 10 tackles in two games, which is the six most. That's his att- avoided tackle rate is way up. And he also saw a 90% RB rush share in week two. His highest rate as a rookie was 75%. So he's been above that rate in both games so far. I just yeah. think if you he's third in running back points. If you can trade him... For like, if you can package him for Jameer Gibbs, would you do that, Dan? With with the Montgomery injury, I would. Yeah, I mean, so someone brought up in the chat, weren't they down fourteen nothing in this game, and he still ended up with eighteen or nineteen carries? They were, but I just looked. That that was actually a great comment because it inspired me to look. Brian Robinson had five carries in the first half, and they had thirteen yeah. in the second half. So that's when the score changed. So I just. Like I'm not ready to buy the Washington Commanders right now. I still think they're going to be a bad team when it's all said and done. They have a tough schedule, um, and I think they're going to lose a lot of games. And I just, if he's not on the field in passing downs, I, I just I'm worried about him. Ha- I'm worried about him being kind of a glorified Gus Edwards, you know, better but same drawbacks. Um, Brian Robinson straight up for Damian Pierce. What do you think? Yeah, I would. I, I would say keep yes. Brian Robinson. I would not do Damian Pierce. I would not take Damian Pierce. I, I have no. Take Pierce. I, it sucks because I think Damian Pierce is incredible talent. And I said this on the first Beyond the Box score. I said it just before the season started when I got off that. The Texans line is an absolute the disaster. Oh, but they're injured. They're going to get a little healthier. You can blame it on injuries, but before the season, Kenyon Green went down for the year. They're never getting him back. He was supposed to be a big piece of that offensive line. Before the year, they, they shuffled in four new faces on the O-line. Yes, they'll get some of those guys back. 
but I don't think they're gener- going to be generating much of a push in the run game all season long hmm. versus Washington, who schemed it up really well against a pretty good Broncos front. So I'm just not right. interested in, in in that game at all for for Texans. Okay, fair enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna run through the rest of the uh, snap count notes that I had. Uh, Devontae Parker played every snap. We talked about that. Kansas City right tackle Jawan Taylor was called for five penalties. That is the most penalties in a game for a player since 2000, according to CBS. Travis Kelsey and he only, should have been called for like another seven in the first week. Yeah, right. For the way he lined up, <laughs> Travis Kelsey only played sixty-four percent uh, of the snaps. Um, Nico Collins only played 62% of the snaps and was 71% in week one. Jacob, you have an explanation for that? No, I've been trying to find one, but <laughs> not, <laughs> Tank Dell and Robert Woods both ran more routes than him. Yeah, and I, I have a lot to say about Collins. I look forward to that. We have a question about that. DeAndre Hopkins played He's- only 60% of the snaps. That's something we have to keep an eye on. He had the ankle injury. Brandon Ayuk played 53% of the snaps. He missed time with an injury, and then he came back. Jerry Judy played 68% uh, in his return. And Christian McCaffrey played every snap. Every snap. Nothing for uh, for the backups there. All right. I was going to do some film review on Kansas City, Jacksonville, but suffice to say, this is my film review. It was a terrible game. Extremely boring. <laughs> a lot of penalties, drops, bad snaps. Kansas City's center couldn't snap the ball. Kansas City's right tackle committed five penalties, as I mentioned. But the most interesting thing of this game, Legereus Sneed. I hope he gets some love. Cornerback for the Chiefs. He shadowed Calvin Ridley, and he shut him down. And this this game for the for the uh, Jaguars was a game of almost. They almost had a lot of really good plays. But the Chiefs' secondary played really well. And I think I'm wondering, you know, Jacob, you're a Chiefs fan. Is this going to be the best defense they've had in the Mahomes era, basically, in the Spagnolo era. There's a lot of talent. The secondary is sick, man. The Jerry Sneed is so good. McDuffie is really good. Their slot corner, like, they've been developing these young corners um, for a while, and I'm, I'm really excited for it, yeah. All right, so I asked Dan to do some film review, and he'll get to that within the five big topics. After our last break here on Fantasy Football Today, we'll be right back to talk about League, you know what? I'm going to give you a little more content before we take a break. That's not cool. Two breaks in like 10 minutes. That's not cool. Let's go to our <laughs> first big topic uh, from Tyler Park. League winner or Mirage? Puka Nakua, Brian Robinson, DeAndre Swift. So you spend time on Swift, uh, on, on Robinson. Is Puka Nakua a league winner? Is DeAndre Swift a league winner? Dan, you can have the first word. Puka Nakua which we talked to, you know, we've talked at length about him both on last week's episode and, and throughout the off season. It feels like he could be a league winner at this point. I mean, look, yes. the role is going to change a little bit when Cooper cup comes back, but at the same time, Matthew Stafford right now looks unbelievable and he has to stay healthy to continue looking like that, but he's doing it without an offensive line. Like they, most of this is just Stafford processing the game at a different level than 95% of quarterbacks, which we seem to have forgot that he's able to do and combine that with, elite arm talent that is better than 98% of quarterbacks are starting in the NFL. And that still is what Stafford can be. And so if Nakua is this involved, he even got a play in the red zone where they ran an end around to him and and he could have potentially scored on that. He didn't, it wasn't blocked up well, but if he's this involved and I think he could be, we've seen in the past, the Rams have leaned on a one, two at receiver, very concentrated attack. Like we saw last year with Miami or the Eagles, for example, with the Robert during the Robert Woods days, he will be, in my opinion, a league winner. Now, as for Bromson, we went over him. DeAndre Swift, to me, I don't think so. I think that backfield is going to, you know, change throughout the entire season. I also think that teams aren't going to play the Eagles like the Vikings tried to in that game, which is just simply like do everything. Here's any play you want it, you can run the football. Yeah. We're just going to play the style of defense to stop the pass. Like that's not going to happen 
against every opponent. I think they were playing better D line. Three down linemen, three three five. Three down line. I read they were playing. That that's just crazy. Uh, No, I can't. They were hoping that don't break, but it just doesn't always work out that way. I mean, I give them credit. They they stayed in the game, but they also unfortunately they also gave up some big plays in the passing game. It's like Devontae Smith crushed them, you know. So um, yeah. Yeah, uh, Swift is, is so interesting. We'll see what happens when Gamewell's back, but I don't think we can put Swift or Robinson in the league winner category, you know, unless Swift really is the feature back because then he's really good be- behind that line. But Puka Nakua, Jacob, do you think he's going to be a league winner? Uh, and you'd only have to go back to Amonra St. Brown. It's the thing with St. Brown, it was, it was only the last six games of the year. But to see a rookie th- day three pick just be awesome in a sort of similar style... Um, and by the way, before you answer, do you guys know the last time a rookie had started his career with back-to-back 100-yard games? Mm-mm. Will Fuller, uh, 2000. No. It was a little earlier than that. Will Fuller in 2016, or a little more recent than that. And then he had something like 480 yards in the last 12 games that he played that season. So he completely disappeared. This feels different. Jacobs Pukunakua going to be a league winner. I absolutely think that he could be. Um, he had more receptions in his second NFL game than Cooper Cup has ever had in a game in his career. <laughs> wow. Interesting interesting note. Uh, yeah, I think he's really good. I think he can... What's really intriguing about Nakua is that he can fill a lot of different roles. Um, we saw them get flexible with him from week one to week two even in changing his role to adjust to the way San Francisco plays with all their zones, keeping everything in front of him. His average route depth, his average depth of target were way shortened compared to what he did in week one. He can work down the field. He can work the intermediary of the field. He, like Dan mentioned, can be used as a rusher as well. That was a big part of his game in college. I think we've seen that he's clearly trusted by Matt Stafford, trusted by McVay, a big part of the offense, and will continue to be. They're going to continue to find ways to get the ball in his hands when Cup gets back. And we don't even know if Cup's going to be back. Right, They say they think he will be, but if he's not or if his hamstring continues to be a problem, then like, yeah, there's the clear path to him being a league winner. Right. We don't have time to talk about this today, but the guy that we're not talking enough about is Tutu Atwell, who once again was good. Yeah. Uh, there was a Victor Cruz comp thrown out from Jimmy J. Victor Cruz, actually, that wasn't oh. his rookie year. Uh, he played three games as a rookie, and then in his second year, he had almost 1,600 yards. <laughs> Pretty credible. The thing I really like, too, about Naku, I brought this up last episode, it's not just coming off from the slot. Like, he's lining up on the boundary and winning on the boundary. That is so important for him to continue to maintain value when Cooper Cup is back. All right, let's uh, take a break now. Now you've gotten your fill of good content. We'll take our second break, our final break. When we come back, we'll talk about Kyron Williams and the Texans passing game. Looking forward to that. The Jaguars passing game and Josh Jacobs. We'll be right back on Fantasy Football today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. All right, we're finishing up here on Beyond the Box Score Week 2. The second topic is from Travis D'Alessandro. How real is Kyron Williams? League winner? Anyone think that's the case? I'm going to go no on that one. Um, and I do want to squeeze in one more thing after this or at some point on Rashad White just because I think it's topical and fun after last week's show. And I did a film review of him as well, Adam, so maybe we can find some time for that at the end. Okay. But as far as Kyron Williams goes, I studied three backs for this show this week, Brian Robinson, Rashad White, and Kyron Williams. I would call Kyron Williams the least impressive individual player of that bunch. I thought that most of what he did in the gra- on the ground was schemed up by Sean McVay, but he did a great job. There was one play I had in my notes just something cool I saw from the Rams on a third and one with 7.57 to go in the fourth quarter. I thought McVay did a really good job uh, scheming to bring the sniffer tight end, which was Tyler Higby on that in motion. And for those who don't know what a sniffer is or haven't heard that term, it's a player who's kind of aligned off the line of scrimmage, put in motion before the snap by the offense, and then used almost like an old school fullback to block and seal down the end man on the line of scrimmage so you can open up the hole. And I just feel like the way McVay schemed that up was unique and different than I've seen some teams scheme it up. And so I thought I wanted to give him credit there. And in general, with Kyron Williams, I felt like it was more scheme-based than individual. But it's not like he did a poor job. He processed what yeah. was there. He got vertical a lot and took what and, t- and took those yards. It just to me, I don't see a league winner there. Uh, but obviously, with the usage, it's different. Because like as a as a player, individual, I wasn't that impressed on tape, Adam and Jacob. But fantasy doesn't always matter how good you are as an individual player. Like if your usage is going to be that high and the offense is going to be as successful, it's been the first two weeks, he can potentially be a league winner. We saw even Cam Akers down the stretch run last season put up good good numbers um, because the offense was moving the football. Obviously, the matchups were good. but So it's a tough question. I'm going to say no to league winner, Adam, but I I will say that I think they're designing a really good offense right now. Would you guys rather have DeAndre Swift or Kyron Williams? Swift. Same. Yeah. There's more upside with Swift. Through two games last year, James Robinson. Actually, James Robinson scored 15.8 or more fantasy points in each of his first three games. And then he got traded and may not play again. Who knows? Leonard Fournette had 21 and 24 carries in the first two games of the season last year. He had two more 20-carry games rest of season. Um, Now, Robinson had ETN breathing down his neck. Kyron Williams doesn't have that. Uh, Fournette, I guess, had Rashad White. But Fournette really just lost the job because he performed so poorly. Um, Williams just doesn't have any competition, but he has now carried the ball 29 times and his longest run is nine yards. So that's not great. We'll see if that improves. Uh, from James, James Chattel wants to know about the Texans passing offense. Okay, here's some stats. 
First of all, they've run the second most plays in football behind only the Rams. So it's not a surprise that we keep talking about the Texans and the Rams. They have the third most pass attempts, Houston does. 16th in yards per attempt. Fifth highest pass rate in the NFL. They're 0-2. They've allowed 25 and 31 points in two games. They're 17th in air yards per pass attempt. Respectable. And they're 23rd in tight end target rate. So they're not even bothering with the tight end all that much. So that's good. But what should we take away from the, the Texans passing game, Jacob? What do you think? I am a huge Nico Collins guy. It seems like maybe you're not, so I'm I'm excited for oh, that. I wasn't necessarily, but watch it. I watched a lot of football this morning, and nobody stood out more than Nico Collins. He he's really is good. a beast. Wow, he's like a discount T Higgins with the type of routes that he's running, the way that he's used, the way that he wins. Um, he's gonna be just an absolute air yard god, like. He's really, really like these type of games are available to him at any point if the offense isn't completely dysfunctional like it has been. And his his per route data, I've written about him this at length, is like really, really exciting for a young player. He just has had a really disjointed path to this third season with injuries. Um, I I think Nico Collins could be a top 24, top 30 fantasy receiver, and that wouldn't surprise me at all just through volume. The thing I'm struggling with here is like there are so many positive signs. Like Nico looks like a really good player. Tank Dell, his touchdown catch was really nice, made a great move. He might have been a really good pick. Stroud, I think, had a pretty good game. But he's and he's dropped back to pass 54 times each of the first two games. But I just don't want to trust. I, I'm sorry, I just don't want to trust it yet. I don't want to trust. Yeah. Look, I, I don't I don't know that you need to sell Nico Collins unless you can get something that you feel really great about. I would sell him for Jerry Judy. Um, but I could see myself being wrong about that because Nico looks yeah. really good. But I don't want to completely get away from everything I felt in the preseason. I'm not ready to declare the Texans' passing game as one that I am ready to trust. They're they're trusting it though. They're really letting Stroud like air it out and and throw mm. way more than I expected. They're playing with pace. Um, like you mentioned, I think they're second or third in pace. I, it's really really exciting. And Tank Dell is good. He's small. So, like, some people don't take him seriously, but he led college football in receiving over the past two years. His parade data is insane. Like, he can win against press even at his size because he's so good. Like, he's he's he moves differently when you watch him. He's really exciting. I, I think yeah, he's, I like, the guy who could get in the way for Collins in terms of, like, taking away targets because yeah. it wouldn't shock me if he, like, leads the team to targets if he's a full-time player. Yeah, I had an opportunity to watch this team, or at least I, I studied C.J. Stroud for this for this episode, and I wanted to really give credit to C.J. Stroud. I want to start by just taking a look at the 30,000-foot view of this. How many times have we seen, and, and let, me, let me just make this clear. I made this clear earlier. This offensive line is an absolute disaster. This is yeah. one of the worst offensive lines I've watched on tape so far this year, if not the worst. And um, from a 30,000-foot view, guys, how often have we seen a rookie quarterback find actual success in the passing game like Stroud has through two games with an offensive line this bad. It's literally almost never. I can't think of a single example where a rookie quarterback has come in and found immediate success in the passing game. Every time this happens, we're an O-line with an O-line this bad. Wow, it's hard Every to time say. this happens, I, yeah, it's no, hard to say. We don't have great. Right. I, I don't know. Look it up. Like Joe Burrow, I don't think had a good offensive line as a rookie and he had, he had a really nice <laughs> Year. I don't think it looked like this from remembering Joe Burrow's offensive line that I, year, though. I, this is like yeah, every know. time he drops back, just terrible blocking. And, you know, usually you see 120, 150 yard games from quarterbacks <clears> in this spot. And I thought, look, this is a great stat from from um, True Media, which was uh, Austin Gale who found this one. Uh, 
CJ Stroud's been 32nd on e- in EPA when under pressure, and the O-line's been horrible in those spots. The run game has been dead last in yards before contact as an offensive line. He's been under pressure 42% of his dropbacks. So he's essentially his the, 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 the you know what he's tasked with doing is playing with a non-existent run game that can't create any yards before contact being under pressure almost half of the dropbacks he's had and yet still trying to generate yards in the past game. To me, it's almost impossible to do that. But in clean pockets, he's at the second best EPA in the NFL among all quarterbacks in clean pockets. And one thing that they found pro football focus is over time, clean pocket stats are sticky pressure under pressure stats are not sticky year after year. So that's something that stood out to me, but from the film, I just thought he looked really good. The ball came out really clean from his hand. He throws a heavy ball, tight spiral. The ball placement and the velocity was great on both in-breaking and out-breaking routes. Early in the game, late in the game, in the first quarter, he had really nice placement on an out route to Tank Dell with 728 to go in the first quarter. He converted a third and four, third and four in the first quarter with 758 left on a nice in-breaker to Nico Collins that he ripped the ball in. His best throw of the day by far, and someone else put this on Twitter, was in the second quarter, 943 to go, first and 10 under center, drop back off play action, hits his back foot, turns, and finds Nico Collins in the second window of a deep dig route in breaker. And to throw the ball into the second window as a rookie in your second game playing, that's good stuff. I mean, that's between the second and third level of coverages. You got to throw that with anticipation. You're 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 not taking the cheese and taking the bait to throw that into the first window. You're waiting for the receiver to get open into that second window. You're throwing before he breaks there. The touchdown to Tank Dell, like, yeah, it's a good play by Tank Dell, but CJ Stroud ripped that ball in there with pinpoint per- perfect ball placement and the velocity to allow Dell, Dell to turn up field. The ball was out of Stroud's hand before Dell got out of his break. He threw it right to the spot, and that's why Dell was able to have all that space and all that time to turn up field and turn what really should have been a 10 yard out into a 23 yard touchdown. So I just felt like overall he did a really good job. There were times like I, I noted in the first quarter with 126 to go, third and seven. He didn't do a good job identifying the free rush or pre-snap, and it was a sack, and that's going to happen. Like He's a rookie quarterback playing in a second game. There's going to be sacks that are on him because he doesn't do a good job pre-snap of identifying where the free blitzer is going to come. But man, I thought he had some great throws, and he had a play on second and eight. This is the final one I'll go over with 12.59 in the second quarter. I thought he did a great job changing the velocity and the trajectory of the ball. He would have hit a Big, big play there to Dalton Schultz on like a corner route that would have probably gone for 25, 30 yards, but it was tipped just at the last second by a second level defender. But between changing the uh, arm angles, changing the velocity, the trajectory, the ball placement, the anticipation, uh, anticipatory throws from CJ Stroud, all in a second game as a pro, I was incredibly impressed. Dan's not taking the cheese the day. I've never heard that before. <laughs> not taking the cheese. Not taking like the cheese. Yeah. Throwing, I mean, Sniffer, he's throwing a lot of things out there. He said 30,000 view, 30, foot view like 30,000 times so far. Dad's on fire today. I, I, I explain what a Sniffer is. I know. It was good. I learned what it is. I'm gonna, Next time I see a, uh, a Sniffer, I'm going to... The Giants use it a lot, by the way. Mike Kafka uses Daniel Bellinger a lot in that regard. So right. you'll see it. Okay. Well, um, all right. Let's go to our next topic. Justin Bellamy, <clears throat> buy low on underperforming running backs, and then he specifies Josh Jacobs, who had nine carries for negative two yards after having 19 carries for 48 yards in week one. And he said after week one that he was shaking off the rust. Remember, he missed most of the preseason. Um, watch, I watched his nine carries, and he didn't have much of a chance on them. Buffalo completely dominated up front on those nine plays anyway against the Raiders. <laughs> Um, Josh Jacobs has 46 yards rushing on the year. 54 of those 46 have come after contact. 
Oh, he has negative God. eight yards before contact in two games. Um, this is what we thought the Raiders line would look like last year, and now it's just happening a year later. Yeah. So I, I mean, what do you? I think Josh Jacobs is going to be, you know, pretty much a must-start running back. I, I don't think he's going to play like a first-rounder, just because he's only done that once in four seasons going into this. So look. I love the receiving involvement this week. Yeah. 60% route involvement rate. Um, yeah. And then obviously the targets were there too. That's probably somewhat um, because of Jacoby Myers' absence, but still cool. Still exciting. And there are just, there are not that many running backs who play as much as he does. Even if he's not going to be the third down back, he's still going to catch enough passes. He's going to score pretty much every running back rushing touchdown. So he's kind of like Ramondre Stevenson, probably with fewer catches. Maybe he's a third round pick now. I mean, maybe he's maybe he's gonna be great. Maybe he's just shaking off the rust and had two bad games. I would buy low on Josh Jacobs. Are there any running backs you guys yep. would also buy low on? And he, I don't think the studs have really been bad enough. Jameer Gibbs. <laughs> yeah, you think so? Yeah. I don't think you can buy low on him though with the Montgomery injury. I think that window probably closed. <laughs> maybe but what the he hell they play... brought Craig Reynolds in. Yeah, I was gonna say he didn't play particularly well and he didn't like take over the role. Um so Fair. I could see it. All right, this is a big opportunity for him because it looks like Montgomery's going to miss maybe two games, and I just hope they give him some carries. I know he didn't do anything on the ground in, in week two, but he did in week one. I mean, we saw that game. Every time he touched the ball, he's making somebody miss. You um, could buy super low on Alexander Madison. I know that's disgusting, but the matchups have been brutal. Um, the role is still there. We haven't seen Ty Chandler get involved at all, even though Madison seems to yeah. be struggling. I love um, it. I love. I'm yeah. glad someone else feels that way. I don't think he's going to be a league winner or anything. But I mean, would you? Tr- I don't know who you turn into him. I don't. Ugh. Would you trade Kyron Williams for Madison? No. No. Okay. You would prefer Kyron. Yeah, I. I'm. I am a little bit worried that Madison might get the rug pulled. Um, and like I. I think Kyron like. Say what you will about him as a player. Like the situation is amazing right now, and there really yeah. is no one else there. I like Zach Evans, all right, but the Rams don't seem to. I think he's set up to just keep doing this, um, and he's going to be valuable for PPR. All right, last topic here. I guess last thing on that. If you want Madison, maybe you just make him part of a bigger trade. He's the other guy you get, um, and you you buy low. Okay, uh, Joey wants to know what we think about Trevor Lawrence. And uh, Lawrence had a really bad game. Let's see, he scored he scored 9.2 fantasy points. They had so many almost touchdowns, but really, I just a lot of credit on my end goes to the Chiefs' defense. They played really, really well. Is anybody worried about Trevor Lawrence after two games? His off-target rate is up, which is weird. Seventeen percent this week, um, which is the fourth highest mark of any game of his career. And it's I say it's weird because he's getting the ball out faster than ever, and his average depth of target is down. So in theory, these should be easier throws to make. I don't know what to make of that. Um, you watched him this week, right, Adam? Yeah, I don't really. I remember one off-target throw. I think it was to Ingram in the back of the end zone on a fourth down. It was just a bad throw. It could but be a small sample size thing. I don't that remember him out. being particularly inaccurate in this game, and I do remember were, a lot of short throws. There were four <laughs> drops in this game too, and that hurt him. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it was just kind of a bad game for the Jags. That's kind of how I feel. Not uh, super. Worried. Yeah, I'm not pushing the panic button. Ridley got I will say up, this and, and just didn't look as good. So Ridley, yeah. Well, that was yeah. a credit to Sneed. Yeah, you All want right. him to win those matchups if he's the guy we thought he was after sure. Week One. 
Well, as I told you guys, I have to go uh, 10 minutes ago. So, Dan, we um, what do we have? You want to finish with your Rashad White thoughts? Yeah. Just a little bit. Rashad White, I know, I you know, look, we broke him down last week. It was a little unimpressive on his game film. And obviously, he reached out to me in a nice way and just was like, yeah, you're right. I need to hit those holes. I feel like he did a really good job this week of actually just hitting those holes. The cutback run from outside zone uh, through the A-gap on first and 10 in the first quarter with 6.17 to go for a seven-yard gain. That was awesome stuff. And then on his touchdown run, he had immediate penetration from the right guard, pushed right back into his lap. He was patient. He didn't bounce that outside. He planted. He got vertical, pushed an extra two yards into the end zone after first contact. Had a great two uh, touchdown run out, uh, as well. And that was a, the second quarter, 10.58. And then one final thought I want to leave you guys on for this. The Bears have now allowed, because that was against the Bears, right? And I will say this. Well, I was impressed with Rashad Wright for getting vertical and, and you know, b- better processing. That Bears defense, guys, I don't know if it's not going to be the worst defense for uh, the best matchup for fantasy all year. They've allowed 25. Shout out Rich Rebar for this. They've allowed 25 points in 12 straight games. Wow. It's the longest streak. The longest streak ever is 13. So they're about to potentially break that. And that goes all the way back to 1964. <laughs> They've added a lot of players at the second level, TJ Edwards and um, Tremaine Edmonds. But man, that run defense looked horrible in this game. Just oh, yeah. Horrible. Yeah. I just. So many holes. It was crazy to watch. And the Bucks O-line was struggling with blocking up holes last week. So I just think that's going to be an excellent matchup for running backs all season long. That would be Isaiah Pacheco in week three, by the way. And yeah, the Bears, I think that right now to me, it's the Bears, the Vikings, and the Giants are the three teams that come to mind where you're basically starting everyone against them. Because those three yeah. teams look terrible on defense. All right, thank you for another awesome episode of Beyond the Box Score. Jacob and Dan Schneier, great stuff. Thomas Schaefer as well. Check out Jacob Gibbs' content on Sportsline, by the way. Go to sportsline.com and you can see a lot of articles from Jacob Gibbs. And uh, we'll talk to you tonight with our live stream, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, and then we've got the waiver wire tomorrow. See ya. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.